Welcome back to the Building Peace Initiative at youwantapieceofmeonline.com. Uh, this is John Van Bladel again. Um, this week's podcast is entitled Knowledge is One of the Foundations of the Discipline and Practice of Peace. And I'm going to provide you with some readings that will help you build a foundation to support your practice of peace. I'll start with a quote by Aristotle. If you remember, he was a soccer player for Brazil. I'm just kidding. Well, he may have played soccer for Brazil. But the Aristotle I'm talking about was a Greek back before they had a lot of media to distract them and they are actually able to sit and think. Uh, educating the mind without educating the heart is no education at all. Wise words that still apply today. Uh, we've made great advances in our technology, but what about our ethical development? Uh, we still have trouble living in peace. So here's another little quote for you. The means by which we live have outdistanced the ends for which we live. Our scientific power has outrun our spiritual power. We have guided missiles and misguided men. That's by Martin Luther King Jr. And I'll save the whole military-industrial complex and people like Eisenhower and uh, C. Wright Mills for later. Not today, another day. So we have a lot of knowledge, but our heart, our capacity for compassion is lacking. It needs to be awakened. Uh, we need both knowledge and heart, compassion, so we can develop an informed, assertive, compassionate approach to creating a world free not only of physical violence, uh, but of structural violence. So since I've returned from the uh, COVID break over the last that we've had over the last couple of years, God, it just seems like it's a lost time. Um, I've restarted this podcast series, and we began with an explanation of the Building Peace Initiative and our mission. Next, we took a look at the Compassionate Communication Guidelines. Uh, we're going to follow them in our interactions with others. Uh, so we're able to hold meaningful conversations that engage both of us. Uh, it is a way of communicating that seeks to reduce the suffering in ourselves and also in others. And again, they're challenging and don't be real harsh on yourself with them. Um, apply some self-compassion. Uh, keep at them and you'll see your relationships both with yourself and with others change. Uh, so we're looking to keep connections with people even though we have different perceptions or beliefs. Uh, listen with the express intent of hearing what the other person has to say without judging them, or actually when the judgments come up, acknowledging them and not having them as a block to communication, and to find common ground and build the pathways perhaps for reconciliation. Um, last week we talked about mindfulness and meditation. Um, this will help us to calm our mind and our bodies so we're able to see clearly uh, as many misperceptions arise, especially when we're in fight-flight or angry, hurt, or fearful. And we want to maintain connection and a dialogue with each other, at least in cases where we're not in danger of harm. Sometimes you do have to leave. Uh, and again, to keep an open mind and an open heart. So today we're going to be addressing some readings uh, that'll help us acquire knowledge about the history of nonviolent actions um, and the practice of nonviolence and also peace. And this will include readings uh, that, again, are going to support our mission. Now, this is important because we want to be educated in a manner that supports what we're talking about. Uh, in this case, peace. Now, there's a good deal of misinformation and disinformation out there that we're going to have to deal with. 
Now, actually, um, I was reading through an article the other day from the American Psychological Association, and they were actually talking about uh, how, how difficult it is to discern the difference between truth and mis and disinformation. Now, misinformation is false or inaccurate information, um, getting the facts wrong. Disinformation is false information which is deliberately intended to mislead, intentionally misstating the, the facts. Uh, and there's a lot out there in reference to the concept of peace. So we're going to have to correct some of these misperceptions. And we have to present a working definition of what peace is so people can consider and embrace it. You know, I always, one of my talking points that I use frequently is people mistake kindness and compassion for weakness and stupidity. Uh, that's why it's important to become aware of some of the people that we're going to be studying. Because Martin Luther King Jr., he certainly had a lot of coverage, as did Gandhi. More recently, Nadia Murad. Um, and there's a whole list of them if you take a look at some of the Nobel Peace Prize winners. Now, one of the most common things you run into with peace is <laughs> your appeasement. And they run right to the Nazis. Now, this is a little of both mis- and disinformation. Uh, appeasement basically is a policy that gives political and also material concessions to someone who is threatening with you with war. So in essence, you're going to give them something to hope that they won't attack. Uh, this is a very specific example, and if you read the Courtright text that I'm going to list, uh, David Courtright, A History of Movements and Ideas, a piece, A History of Movements and Ideas, you'll find that many of those who preferred a peaceful settlement, settlement uh, in that situation actually advocated for decisive action to stop the Nazis because uh, they understood that action needed to be taken. Now, pacifism also gets misunderstood on at least two levels. First of all, those who aspire towards peace are not necessarily pacifists. Um, they, there is also something called the protective use of force, uh, which you will see. Does, the protective use of force is a little bit more complicated at times. Uh, if we get into like the Rwandan genocides, actually sending the military to intervene would have been an appropriate protective use of force, and we could talk for days about that one. But the second when it comes to pacifism is pacifists just don't stand around doing nothing. They refuse to participate in war, which, by the way, takes a lot of courage. Uh, some would argue more courage than actually arming and going to war. And they actively seek to avert it. Now, if you want to take a look at a website, look at War is Not the Answer. It's primarily the Quakers. Um, and take a look at how much they're doing. Now, I myself am not a pacifist. I do believe in the protective use of force. So I'm not advocating for one thing or another. This is for you to decide. The other thing we often hear about is deterrence theory. Um, deterrence theory has actually raised the threat of war and led to a global arms race that funneled trillions of dollars away from the citizens of many countries where it would have helped to raise them out of poverty and help them to live um, a life of dignity. And again, the text um, by Courtright, Peace, A History of Movements and Ideas, we'll talk about that one. Now, if we... When we talk about dignity, I'm going to jump over to the United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Uh, in the preamble of it, whereas recognition of the inherent dignity and of the equal and alienable rights of all members of the human family is the foundation of freedom, justice, and peace in the world. This is really crucial, and I'll get to it in a later podcast about how human rights are really the foundation of peace. In Article 1 from the Declaration of Human Rights, all human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. 
They're endowed with reason and conscience and should act towards one another in a spirit of brotherhood. I'm going to call that personhood. Um, lofty words and ambitions, and we haven't quite got there yet. Uh, but we do have a foundation from which to proceed here. So becoming acquainted with the UN Declaration of Human Rights, I think, is crucial. The irony is that the Declaration of Human Rights and the UN are unbalanced because they gave five members of Security Council more power than others. So right away they violated uh, their own words. <clears throat> so, and another one is nonviolence does not work. That's another fallacy. Um, the text of Force More Powerful gives examples to the contrary. You've all heard of Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr., who were highly effective. Oh, I'll just warn you about a Force More Powerful. The first chapter is about... Um, Russia back uh, with the revolution. The one way back in the early 1900s, I believe it was, it is a very long chapter and it is written very much like a history book. So you may have to wade through it. So some of these textbooks can be a little difficult to get a handle on. Okay, <clears throat> moving on. I have to take a drink here. Now it's not a cold, it's allergies. <laughs> Hold on. It's coconut water water if you must know I could never drink anything but alcohol in it and actually do a podcast that just wouldn't work out so well all right so if you remember um Barash and Webel in their book an introduction to, to peace and conflict studies uh, they talked about two perspectives related to peace the first was called negative peace the absence of war and the second positive piece is defined as a social condition in which exploitation is minimized or eliminated and in which there is neither overt violence nor the more subtle phenomenon of underlying structural violence. And this is the line I really love. It includes an equitable and just social order as well as, here it is, ecological harmony. The Better World Handbook. Fantastic book. And again, that's going to be on your list. It's, it's a pretty easy read and it's very... It's very much based towards practice, what you can do to make a more just world. And it really combines sustainability, or ecology, and the practice of peace, which, of course, are interrelated. They, they go on further to say that structural violence is built into our social, cultural, and economic institutions. It usually has the effect of denying people important rights, such as economic well-being, social, political, and sexual equality, a sense of personal fulfillment, self-worth, food, clean water, medical care, and environmental rights. Uh, and the focus on human rights is super important as it provides us with, again, the foundation I talked about earlier. So, that's a little bit of the introduction, um, actually, to this week. What I wanted to do now is touch on a couple of books. Now, I'll go through... A few of them here. Uh, Creating True Peace, Ending the Violence in Yourself, Your Family, Your Community, and the World. It's by a guy named Thich Nhat Hanh, who I was fortunate enough to encounter. And I've spent quite a bit of time at Blue Cliff Monastery uh, with some of the monks. I'm not a Buddhist, but I really love their psychology. And what they really... That book really got me thinking. And not too long after I read the book, I was lucky enough to have a local... Um, not workshop, retreat, okay, uh, which I attended for five days, suspiciously, I might add, because <laughs> groups of anyone I get a little bit suspicious of, but it's not a cult, and they were very, um, they walked the talk, and I remember approaching one of the monks when I heard what I termed a little bit of Buddha babble, uh, emptiness, 
And I asked them what emptiness was, and they said, well, we're empty of an independent existence. And I got that, because as I'm standing there, trillions of cells are running around in my body, allowing me to manifest, and they can't exist without the biosphere that we live in, and probably some other things beyond our understanding. Um, fantastic book for me. Take the Buddha out of it, and it's still a good book. Uh, Choosing Civility, The 25 Rules of Considerate Conduct by a guy named PM40. He's got a lot of interesting insights, and I know civility is controversial for some, but if you use it uh, in a fair way, in a, in a manner that doesn't suppress other people's rights, it does make a difference. We haven't gotten into nonviolent communication yet, A Language of Life with Marshall Rosenberg, but I am going to get into that later. Let's just start out with, again, another podcast. Let's just start out with um, some of the references I have here. Peace and Conflict Studies by, I mentioned that, by Barash and Webel. The Better World Handbook I talked about. Karen Armstrong is a really interesting person. And she did a TED Talk and started the Charter for Compassion, which I signed up for, you know, some years ago. Uh, she's worth looking at. She's like the most prominent religious historian out there. Uh, she wrote a book, 12 Steps to a Compassionate Life. It's a good one. I would take a look at that one, and that gives you something to do. You can pick and do one a month if you want to. Uh, Worlds in Harmony, Compassion in Action for a Dalai Lama, or for a Better World, uh, by the Dalai Lama. Uh, Gandhi on Nonviolence. Uh, that's a fantastic one. And anything by Thomas Merton is um, an interesting read. He's going to bring you more of a Christian perspective. Uh, the Power of Nonviolence, Writing by Advocates of Peace. There's another book out there, I'd Rather Teach Peace by Coleman McCarthy, and he still has a site that has a lot of readings, and he is very clearly tells you he's a um, Christian, but a lot of his readings, um, he covers quite a few of them, you know, Gandhi, uh, Tolstoy, he's got some fascinating uh, writings by Tolstoy about uh, like letters to a corporal, amazing stuff that would be interesting if we develop curriculums and we actually exposed people to these thoughts earlier in their lives um, how things could change um, No Future Without Forgiveness Forgiveness, Desmond Tutu he's a fascinating guy uh, I think forgiveness is an area that um, we need to spend more time on if you saw the arraignment of Dylan Roof who committed that horrific act um, of murdering uh, several people in a church in the hope to precipitate um, a race war uh, the family's offered him forgiveness which is just shocking uh, to say the least it doesn't mean you don't hold people accountable and Desmond Tutu was involved with the Truth and Reconciliation Commissions too uh, Trudy Govier read, uh, show, talks a bit about forgiveness and revenge and that's the name of the book uh, a lot of you may have read The Sunflower The Possibilities and Limits of Forgiveness and boy um, there's a little piece in there from the Dalai Lama where he uh, asked one of his monks if he was afraid when he was captured by the Chinese and if memory serves me correctly, the monk said, yeah, I was afraid. I was afraid I would lose compassion for my captors because they must be suffering terribly to do this to me. And it still gives me the chills when I hear that one. I get it, but I don't know if I could practice that. Uh, Mountains Beyond Mountains, if you ever heard of Paul Farmer, uh, he recently died. Um, a fascinating guy. Uh, and I think he is one that really... Uh, exemplified someone who really wanted to work against structural violence, in this case, health care. Learning True Love, Practicing Buddhism in a Time of War by Sister Chan Kong. She's an interesting one, too. Um, let's see. I like Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut. He's just him and I. 
<laughs> I just relate to what he says, but I think he takes a very interesting perspective on it. Now, there's really just uh, shoo, three more. I've, I've mentioned them a little earlier. And again, a force more powerful, a century of nonviolent conflict. Um, that's a tough read uh, for a lot of people. But it, again, it gives you some knowledge where people start to say things like, ah, nonviolent action can never work. You say, well, yeah, it has. Um, and then they'll say, well, war hasn't stopped yet. And it's like, well, it's not because of the people who are advocating for peace. It's because of some of the other groups out there because we haven't quite learned that we're all interconnected and it's the whole issue of having empathy when you understand that when you harm someone else you're really harming yourself in the long run then i think people start to change uh people's history of the u.s by howard zinn that's a history from the perspective of minorities i think that's important too because sometimes we, we really forget and people or we never really knew uh, people don't have sensitivity about what it's like to be a minority person. I was reading somewhere, it might have been um, from lies my teacher told me that minority students tend not to do well in history because history is written from the perspective of the conquerors and they really don't take into account the perspective of the people who were conquered. And finally, there's Peace, A History of Movements and Ideas by uh, David Courtright. All right, so the other thing that I did over the years is I started to read biographies autobiographies about people. Uh, when Gary Matow, Roberto Menchu, Nelson Mandela, Nadia Murat, so many others. And that's important to have too. So you, you want to be inspired, particularly for those days uh, where you have a tough time of it. You know, someone cuts you off in a car and you really get mad. Well, what would Nelson Mandela do? He's tolerated 27 years of prison and came out and wasn't hateful. Instead, he looked at the longer goal, which was to get people to live uh, more peacefully with each other. All right, so I think that's uh, pretty much all I have uh, for this week. Let me see where I am with my time. Oh, 18 minutes, yeah. Gotta stop, I'm trying to keep these things around 15 minutes. So, um, uh, like I said, I'm going to post a list on um, You Want a Piece of Me online.com the building peace initiative and get started reading so now we have three ways to approach this first through changing the way we communicate our language uh, compassionate communication guidelines number two mindfulness and meditation let's calm down so we can see reality clearly and not get into fight flight um, so we can work towards making a more peaceful world and the third component is just be knowledgeable we want to be able to practice an informed assertive compassionate approach um, to addressing people and bringing uh, the discipline and practice of peace into the mainstream. We have to do this. And I think the thing that may really turn things is it's really hard to argue that the world is not in a bad place from a sustainability uh, perspective. We really have to work together to continue to have a habitable world for all of us. So that's it for this week. Till next week, give yourself and those around you some peace. I will invite the bell to end. <laughs>